The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RST, UV, YZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio and one that's not, <laughs> sonsoflibertymedia.com. Go there, scroll down on the right side of the screen, and you can uh, blow up the video there if you want to watch the video portion of the show. We'd appreciate that very much. Also, you can check out the live video feed at Twitter on my Twitter account there, FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter. That's being streamed from our Periscope account, uh, account which is still set on setting brush fires if you follow us on, on Periscope. And then our Facebook page is Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com. Michael Roach gives us a spot there every weekday morning at 6 a.m. And I'm on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. And then Bradley's on at 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Saturday as well. Also, we're on DLive.tv. We've got some friends over there, The Sons of Liberty on DLive.tv. And then finally, you can catch us on Spree the Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.life. And uh, we're not going to have the phone lines open today, but we are going to be discussing a very important issue and one that is very relevant um, to what we've been experiencing over the past, I don't know, a few months here. And that is the doctrine of lesser magistrates. Now, I've got my friend Matt Trujillo on the line, and we're going to bring him up in just a second. But he's written a book called The, Doctor, uh, the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. And he's had God's given him the opportunity to go out and to speak to many of the representatives around the country. Many of them have been very receptive to the message. It is a biblical message. It is one uh, that's been part of history in Christendom for some time now. And I want to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, my friend Matt Trujillo. Matt, good morning. Good to be with you here today, Tim. God bless you. Yeah, thank you, man. Um, well, what we want to do is I want to I want to let let people know a little bit about you because some of them have seen you. Maybe some of them have read your book, but some of them have seen you because I played the clip where you. I don't know. Was it uh, in Wisconsin? It was. Uh, was it a county council or something like that that you were before in Article Five, or was it something with the state? It was a state committee. They were trying to make Wisconsin another Article Five state. Thanks be to God, it it didn't pass. Okay. <laughs> so well, no. I was at that. Yep. Yeah, the people. The people. When I showed that clip, you should have seen the chat room light up. I mean, they loved it. They loved what you had to say. They loved that you had a conviction about it. 
And then when you when you dealt, I think there was a lady that asked some questions. Well, you know, this is really she was basically saying this is all we know how to do. What do what are you asking us to do here? And right. they really appreciated your response that, you know, you didn't beat her over the head with a sledgehammer. You were kind to her and you said, well, this is this is how things are supposed to happen. They're supposed to be with the people, not with the state. And uh, so they had a, a lot of appreciation for how you uh, addressed uh, those who are in who are placed in authority. Now, let me let you let me give you a few minutes. Tell people a little bit about yourself um, and what you do and how you came to write this book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. Sure. Well, I'm 59 years old now. Me and my wife will be married 39 years this coming August. Uh, we have 11 children. We have six daughters and five sons. Uh, the oldest is 38, just turned 38 this week, last week. <laughs> and um, our youngest is 12 now. Six of the kids are married. We have 22 grandchildren so far. So the Lord's really blessed us. I've been pastoring at Mercy Seat Christian Church here for um let's see now 30 32 years 32 amazing years past the same congregation which is a real goodness and uh, we have about 130 140 people in the congregation um i was actually raised in detroit um where i grew up i was a minority and i was in a gang i used to steal cars burn down places rob people deal drugs all that kind of stuff and I was placed, um, when I was 17 years old, I was charged as an adult for arson, uh, which is a felony. And I was placed by the courts in a Christian drug rehab program called Teen Challenge. And believe it or not, Tim, today, May 28th, is actually the day that I came to Christ. <laughs> so it's been wow. 42 years now, today, since, um, since I came to know him. It was a radical transformation. I, you know, got up in the morning, I was really just your, you know, a slave to sin, total pagan. Uh, they went to church. I had been raised in a church um, where everybody was quiet and sat there like a flower pot. Quit going when I was a kid. It was so boring. And when I got to this church, there was probably, I don't know, about a thousand people there. They came up and they were shaking my hand, glad to see me. And I could I could tell they were genuine. They weren't glad to see me because I had some drugs with me or something. You know, they're just glad to see me because I'm me. And we went in to the sanctuary and everybody's talking, which freaked me out because I thought, man, these people are acting like they're getting ready to see a movie, you know, or something like that. They're not all quiet. And then a lady came out, started playing the piano. Some guys started leading in worship. And as I stood there and these people were singing, like they believed, they weren't just mumbling under their breath, like where I had gone to church when I was young. And I just began to weep. And I sat down in the pew. I didn't even want anybody to see that. And I spent an hour and a half crying through the whole service. I had, um, the Lord was just bringing to my mind all the evil things I had done. And for the first time in my life, I felt wrong about those things which I had done. And what it was, was the Holy Spirit convicting me that I was a sinner and that I was in need of a savior. And it was just a radical transformation. So that's 42 years ago today. And um, I followed him ever since then. Met my wonderful wife after I got out of Teen Challenge, which was a year long living drug program. So I felt called to ministry. I went into the pastorate. I've been pastoring now for 32 years, as I said. It's been a long run. And um, I got involved with 
Defending the Preborn in 1988. In 1988, I heard about Operation Rescue, heard Randall Terry speak. Um, abortion is murder. We need to act like it. Um, I went and interposed at the doors of death camps. It was a great awakening into my life for my indifference towards my pre-born neighbor. We began an organization called Rescue Operation Milwaukee. We thought thousands would just come out once they saw the pictures of the murdered preborn. But instead, what we found was most churchmen sat down to the glow of their word processors and put out treatises why they were biblically right not to love their preborn neighbor. So after about a year and a half of trying to get thousands of people involved, we decided, well, let's not do that. Let's just get a small group of people who lay aside everything in their life and interpose on behalf of the preborn every day they kill babies. So we targeted the highest volume killing center in the city of Milwaukee, had 17 people. We went there with the commitment that we would interpose every day that they kill children until they were either out of business or we were dead. And thanks be to God, after one year, they were out of business and we were all still alive. So we saw God do a great work. Amen. Amen. Yep. And so that's kind of how I got involved in this whole doctrine of lesser magistrate. I had a reform minister tell me about the doctrine in the early 1990s. And when I heard about the doctrine, it made sense to me um, right away. And yet, like, nobody ever knew about this doctrine. It was, like, unknown to men. And um, so it was kind of weird how that went. And uh, I'm going to close this thing off here because it's, like, irritating me, if that's okay, Tim. Sure, sure. All right. I'll come back up here. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah. So um, what astounded me was that, you know, we had the murder of human beings going on, and yet we didn't have one governor, not one legislature, not one mayor, not one common con- no magistrates interposing for the preborn and defying the Supreme Court. And that is, that's what the doctrine of lesser magistrate about, is all about, interposition. Um, when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower or lesser ranking civil authority has both the God-given right and duty not to obey the superior authority and, if necessary, to actively resist that superior authority. And yet we had seen no governor, no legislature, no mayor, no one interpose and defy the Supreme Court. So you know how things are. Your life goes on. You tell people about these things from time to time. Well, in 2006, at our church, we're involved in all kinds of ministry, you know, out at the university, um, out on the streets, um, visiting uh, prisoners, doing preaching in prisons, um, to juvenile delinquents, a whole bit. And we kind of noticed that our country, with all the efforts we had still been doing, still continued to descend into decadence, immorality, and injustice. And so in about 2006, we just started gathering once every other week or once a month with nothing up our sleeves, just crying out to God, what can we do? Crying out on behalf of our nation, petitioning God in prayer. And at one of those meetings one night, after it was over with, I talked to the people and I said to them, this is what God's impressed upon me, that we need to teach the people, first off, teach the church, and then teach the people and the magistrates in America the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We need to establish a website. I need to write a book. 
And we need to teach this doctrine to Americans because this thing's going to fall apart. Wickedness, I'm a student of history. This is going to fall apart. The lesser magistrates need to know their duty in the sight of Christ. So I didn't get the book published until 2013. Um, And then we had the website established at that time and everything also. So it took a number of years um, to get everything established. But now we have this Magdeburg Confession from antiquity, and we have my work from as a contemporary work today on the doctrine. And the book is is nearing 40,000 in sales now. And it's really impacted so many people's lives and completely switched their paradigm regarding their view of politics from always wanting to run to D.C. to see how important it is to talk to the magistrates at the state, county, and local level. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty incredible testimony that you have. And then also to see that it was worked out. And the thing I like about uh, your testimony is you don't focus on all the bad stuff. You can tell people, yes, I used to be this, um, but here's what God has done in me and through me over the years. He's been sanctifying me. He's been using me for his work, which is part of what Ephesians 2 says, that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not just we've been saved from the wrath of God, but we've been saved unto good works. And so the things that you're pointing out are good. Uh, you're, I see that you're taking this issue of teaching the, 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 the doctrine of lesser magistrates to representatives and people around the country. And to me, that's part of the whole uh, Great Commission. It's not just to call people to repentance uh, in, in the gospel, and I guess that's a way of, of doing it, but it's to disciple the nations. This is how you do what God has put you in the place of authority to do. And, uh, and they reap a benefit from it. The people reap a benefit from it. God is glorified in the midst of it. And I, I think that's really your aim uh, in all of this, if you can break it down in a nutshell, and I, I know you hit on it just a little bit, but if you can break it down in a little nutshell, if people say, well, well, what is this doctrine of lesser magistrates? If you can break it down real simply, what does that mean? Sure. Well, I, I always like using a an example from history um, where Emperor Trajan was giving a sword to a subordinate, and upon giving him the sword, he, uh, he said to him, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. And that is what the doctrine is, simply that, that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower or lesser-ranking civil authority has both the God-given right and duty not to obey, and if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority. Um, This is a we, we call it the doctrine of the lesser magistrate because it is a doctrine. It was first formalized in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany. Um, of course, it existed long before then. Uh, we see it um, in non-Jewish, non-Christian nations. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament. We see it throughout the history of Western civilization. But it wasn't until 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany, that churchmen formalized it as a doctrine. And when we say the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, Magistrate is simply an old English word that means any um, public official, whether appointed or elected. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. John Knox, he um, furthered what the Magdeburgers um, wrote about in their Magdeburg Confession. In 1558, Knox wrote his appellation to the nobles of Scotland. The nobles were the lesser magistrates of their day. And he shows them 
from Scripture and history, cited over 70 passages of Scripture to show that this doctrine is sound in the Word of God. He shows them that their duty is not just to flatter their king and obey him no matter what he does, but their duty is to interpose when he does wrong and does evil and stop the evil that he's doing in the land. And the goodness of the doctrine is, like, if we all show up on the corner with shotguns in our hands, um, you know, the civil authorities pretty good. They have pretty good weaponry. They can put that down. Peasant revolts usually don't go good for the peasants when you read history. And, um, you know, but if the lesser magistrates are part of this, if they're the ones interposing against the evil of the superior authority, that's when the tyrant higher authority knows they have a problem on their hands. Because the tyrant superior authority always counts on the lesser magistrates to get their evil down into the fabric of society. And when they no longer have the compliance of the lesser magistrates, then they know they have a problem on their hands. And the, the role of the people in all this, that'd be us, is to prod the magistrates to do right. When evil is being done, we have to prod our magistrates, instruct them, um, press them to do right, and at the same time, to interpose against the evil. And at the same time, we have to assure them that we are with them four square, that we will give them of our possessions, of our persons, of our prayers, both publicly and privately, in order to stand with them against the evil that they're interposing against. So the doctrine has been used, when you look at history, time and time again, it's been used to reign in the tyranny of the superior authority bloodlessly, without causing complete upheaval, chaos, and revolution within society. Uh, it reigns it in because lesser magistrates already possess lawful authority, and they're using their lawful authority properly by not simply going along with the evil of the higher authority, but stopping the evil of the higher authority. So it retains cohesiveness within the culture instead of just bloodshed and chaos everywhere, anarchy. Yeah, and I think that's important to point out because I think I see, um, especially in social media, I see a lot of people that it seems like there's a provocateur effort, uh, even now with some things that we faced over the past couple of months, that people are just ready to start going out bullets blazing. And I think many of those people, first of all, they're not Christian, even though they claim to be. And they're driven by their emotions, which oftentimes our emotions drive us to sin. And I think that's why God said that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the Word of God comes through the mind. It, comes, it goes into the heart. Uh, he transforms our heart. He doesn't bypass any of those things. And we're always called to be those who remember um, You know, in the commandment uh, about the Sabbath day. We're called to remember the Sabbath day. Uh, to keep it holy. And then we're called in the New Testament over and over, remember the things that I told you because we're forgetful people very often. And so mm -hmm. I think it's important that you point that out because the, the opposite side of that is to be engaged by the provocateurs that want us to go out and be, for lack of a better term, vigil annies and just start, you know, mowing down anybody we disagree with in authority. And that's not that's not how Christ did things. That's not how uh, anybody, any of those who did that who who weren't in those capacities of authority, they were acting outside of the Word of God. But in, I, I appreciate the fact that you say, hey, we're trying to get these guys who are close to us, who have these positions of authority, which God has given, uh, Romans 13, and that mm -hmm. position is to honor God. They are the ministers of God. And um, so in, in putting this into place, 
you mentioned some of these people. Now, I had a friend, when he read your book, he says, what well, sounds to me like, um, uh, you know, Matt's saying, boy, if you're elected to be, I don't know, county dog catcher or something, you're in a position of authority um, if you're acting lawfully. Uh, is that far off base here? No. You know, each position of authority has its role, function, and limits. And so they have to wield their um, position properly. But there are certain things that, you know, demand interposition by all magistrates. One of them is when, um, you know, the civil authority makes law which impugns or is contrary to the law of God. Like you can murder the preborn, like two men or two women can get married. When that type of evil takes place, it's the duty of all magistrates, and the dog catcher wouldn't have anything here to do, but you understand what I'm saying. Sure. Um, it's the duty of the magistrates, the lesser magistrates, to interpose. Another case is when the, you know, the property or liberty of anyone within the jurisdiction of the lesser magistrate is being immorally or unjustly um, taken advantage of or attacked by the superior authority, the lesser magistrate is to interpose, to stand in between that evil of the greater authority and the people within his jurisdiction. And the third would be, since we live in America, our constitutions, both the national and the state constitution, all magistrates, I don't know about dog catchers, but everyone from a policeman to the president takes an oath um, to uphold the U.S. Constitution. And all state officials, all state magistrates also take an oath, not only to the U.S. Constitution, but also to their state constitution. That is rule by law. So when any one branch of government begins to play the tyrant and impugns or does things repugnant to the constitutions, it is the duty of the other magistrates to resist that branch, that part of government that's playing the tyrant. They are to oppose them. They're to uphold what's right. Not simply say, um, yeah, I got to do whatever the guy above me says. They do not take an oath of subservience to the federal government. They do not take an oath of upholding immoral, unjust opinions by the federal judiciary or SCOTUS. They took an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and their state constitution. And so if they see that being impugned or things being done repugnant to it, their duty is to do their duty and stand against those who are playing the tyrant. And of course, we've seen plenty of examples of that over the last two months. And that's been the one silver lining in this whole COVID-19 insane asylum is that it has given day after day opportunity to teach people the doctrine of the lesser magistrates in time and space, because it's actually being demonstrated again and again by county officials by mayors, by sheriffs, who have interposed and said, no, not in my jurisdiction. The evil that the governor is trying to do is not going to happen in this county. Um, and it's the doctrine of lesser magistrate. And when you show people that this is a doctrine, this is something that our founders understood, it's part of how federalism is supposed to work. Um, because in a true federalism, you have multiple levels of government, multiple branches on each level. Our founders wanted a true federalism because they held to a biblical view of man, that he's wicked and in need of a savior. So they didn't want power to reside in one individual or a small group of individuals, like an oligarchy of sorts. They wanted there to be multiple safeguards so that if any branch at any level 
um, began to play the tyrant, the other branches at any level would resist that branch. That's how true federalism works. That is the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in action. Yeah, I, as, as a matter of fact, uh, when we're talking about the the number of people, one of the what's called the original First Amendment uh, was to allow for uh, fifty thousand. Excuse me, one representative for every fifty thousand people. And that has not passed. That's been ratified by 11 states. It's still out in the open. We don't need an Article 5 convention. We don't need any of this stuff. We could ratify that with, what, 26 more states, and it becomes law. And all of a sudden, you go from 500 representatives to, uh, I don't know, about 6,500. I don't know where we'd put them. I guess we'd have to do something really good, really smart, like keep them at home (laughs) instead of send them to D.C. That would be a good thing. But let me take a couple of examples. Um. You had a, an article recently on DefyTyrants.com, uh, mm-hmm. and this is Matt's site here, and it's called Illinois Lesser Magistrates 1, Tyrant 0. And you talked about uh, Little Madison County, Illinois, stepped forward on May 18th and interposed uh, against the tyrant, Governor J.B. Pritzker, and his emergency stay-at-home order. The county openly declared their defiance to the governor and interposed on behalf of businesses in their county that they would protect them if they opened. And I could give a a couple of examples. Uh, Shelley Luther down in in Texas opening her salon. She had armed supporters with her. Then they tried to drag her in there uh, into the court and give her seven days in jail, $7,000 fine. It's ridiculous. Then we had the lady out in Oregon, a $14,000 fine. Um, it, all of this is crazy. T- speak to that. Let, let's let's start here, and then let's move up. Let's give some examples where people can see this sort of in action, uh, sure. and and move up the line even up to the president. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, well, the story you're citing about Illinois is tremendous. It just happened last week. Um, first, the governor comes out with his latest order that any business, because there's all this rattling in the savers from businessmen that they were going to open because this is crazy that this continues. And so he makes an edict, literally, just an order, that any businessman who opens prior to when he says they can open will be charged with a misdemeanor. So Madison County defies him, stands in interposition and says, no, you're not, we're going to protect our businessmen. You're not arresting any of them. In our county, they declare that the very next day, the Illinois State Police join with Madison County. They side with Madison County and declare to the governor they're not going to arrest any business owner Amen. who opens his business Amen. prior to when he says he can. And then the very next day after that, Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. <laughs> so that's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in action right there in time and space, you know, and it's, we've seen it throughout history and that's how it works. Like on the cover of my book, I have the nobles of Runnymede, Tim, there when they meet with the tyrant King John, they gathered the nobles of the day were the lesser magistrates. That was a Christian document. Read the Magna Carta. He signed it because of the pressure he felt from the lesser magistrates who weren't going to go along with his tyranny and of course, the Magna Carta is the document that all the nations in the West point to um, for liberty. It's a Christian document. So it's extremely important to understand. So it's been practiced from time immemorial all the way up to our day in the state of Illinois last week. Pretty tremendous. 
No, it's it's really and it's nice to see. <clears throat> you know, we saw the uh, the the people from Michigan go to the state house. Uh, what was the government Whitner up there? They go to the state house. They've got their long arms on. And it was kind of funny to watch people like Sean Hannity sort of go, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I, I'm the biggest supporter of Second Amendment, but I'm a little uncomfortable with these guys having their guns, which is silly. Um, yeah. <clears throat> because nobody was brandishing guns and pointing them at people. And it was this mm-hmm. idea of, well, we're trying to pol- protect our police. That's what you know Hannity said. Well, what about the people? What about the people who are being harmed here? And yep. <clears throat> I think there's a thing that's to be said. Somebody pointed it out, I think, with Bill Clinton. There was a particular bill that was in um, in Congress, and they were trying to get him signed. Oh, I'm not going to sign this. And they put all this pressure on him, and finally he signed it. Here was this wicked guy, and that uh, there was so much poli- there was so much pressure brought to bear that he had to sign it, and it was a good and a right thing to sign and a right thing mm-hmm. to do. And I think that's what you're talking about right here. But the same thing applies in in this situation now. Boy, uh, see, people want to get on to me for uh, the criticism of the current administration, but there are usurpations of the Constitution. Uh, I spoke about this with Michael LaPierre, uh, who's running for a Senate seat against Lindsey Graham down here in South Carolina. He's a Christian man, covenant guy, um, and uh, it was a good interview. But one of the things you know, I, I was bringing up about Donald Trump is, okay, I don't see in anywhere where there's um, – I mean, he's, if we really want to get down to it, this national state of emergency, that was declared by him. I don't see anything mm-hmm. in the Constitution allowing him to do that. And mm-hmm. then that was followed in every single state with a state of emergency. Yep. And But but the political talking heads on either side, especially on the conservative side, oh, it's just the Democrats. Well, Governor McMaster in my state's a Republican, and he starts down this Nazi-esque, essential, non-essential kind of road of business is what – I've I've told the people every business is essential to somebody, and second, right. <laughs> it's part as, as Christians. It's part of it's part of our worship. The Bible tells us that we work six days and we rest a seventh day. Everybody focuses on the rest, but what about the work? And Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. These things right. are part of our worship towards God, the one who made us and gave us His law. And so, when these guys usurp that, there there has to be these. Uh, we had Stephen, uh, excuse me, uh, Alan Stevo on earlier in the week, who talked about how you can sue your governor over these things. You can you can bring a suit against them because they're acting unlawfully. What happens when it's the president and the president comes out and says nobody's reopening? I'm unless I say so. Now I'm going to work with the yeah. governors, but I'm the one who has the final say. We're, what kind of usurpation of the Constitution is that? Right, and then that would be the duty of the governors to oppose him, not go along with it. Um, I want to respond to a few things you talk about because you hit so many awesome points, Tim. Okay. Um, one, yeah. The article five thing. Yeah. They want to create another piece of paper, you know, so it can get crushed by another federal court and on down the line. Um, I always talk about article six. That's what we need an article six intervention <laughs> because that's where we see that all magistrates from the policemen, to the president take an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and their state constitutions. All state officials do. And um, if they would simply uphold their oath to the Constitution, they could rein in the tyranny of the federal government or when it comes to county things, state government, they could rein in those tyrannies just by upholding their oath to the Constitution. They don't need to have another court case. They don't need to have another convention and create 
a whole nother new piece of paper. Just do what it already says to do, uphold your oath to the Constitution. Secondly, the thing that you've talked about regarding the Second Amendment in Michigan and people being armed, on April 24th here, we had thousands of people outside our Capitol. And there was um, many people brandishing weapons, not nearly as many as Michigan, but I would say 40 to 50 people brandishing weapons outside our Capitol. And there were people who were there at the protest who were upset with that. And I went up to every single one of them who were open carrying, and I thanked them for exercising the liberties that we have and for brandishing their weapons openly. Um, I always encourage people open carry in what they did and tell them, God bless you, and, you know, get into a conversation, talk to them about more things, about the things of the Lord and whatnot. Um, I, after that, I got in huge debates on the protest Facebook page because there were so many people there that were bothered about the people with guns. It was a great opportunity to explain the Second Amendment, which most of these people don't even know why the Second Amendment was established. You know, that three main reasons was, one, so we could repel invaders. Number two, put down unjust, immoral insurrections within our own country. Number three, to act as a check against our own government. The politicians need to see the citizens with their arms outside their building because they think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. And they need to be reminded that their authority has limits. So I always thank God for the people who come out with arms and act properly as the men and women in Michigan did, as the men and women here in Wisconsin did. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is when it comes to the whole Donald Trump thing, you know, this whole thing was politicized early on. I mean, within two weeks into it, all of a sudden you saw all the politicization take place, like what you're talking about, all the Democrats lining up with their political fodder, all the Republicans lining up with their political fodder. And I was just like, oh, here we go. We're off to the races now. And it's true. All the Republicans want to act like Donald Trump didn't have anything to do with this. He's just a innocent bystander and the governors have been doing everything. No, he declared the national emergency and then they immediately followed suit, governor after governor around the country. He's tried to back off from it. They want to keep it going because they find it a useful tool, especially the tyrannical governors. And as you know, Tim, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, most all Americans are statists. Most Americans are socialists. They think from a socialist status mindset regarding government. And so it just is to what depth or degree is the statism that they embrace. And so they sit there and they point at like Whitmer in Michigan or Newsom out in California. Oh, how draconian, how terrible. As though that makes it okay like what your governor's doing in South Carolina or um, other um, Republican governors have been doing like in Florida and other places like that. No, it's not okay. It all needs to stop. And what's with the phases of reopening? Okay, you were wrong. You built your fiction on a mountain of lies regarding this virus. Just admit you're wrong and let everybody go back to normal. Still, they keep the fiction going. The press keeps the fiction going. It's awful to watch, and it's amazing what you can, how easily you can get people to walk in lockstep to tyranny and give up their freedoms over safety, over fear. 
of a virus. And I came to the conclusion in watching all this, uh, Tim, that a virus is the perfect narrative for tyranny. A virus is a tyrant's mecca because they can use foment fear, create hysteria, and then put tyranny in place, and the people go along with it. I already didn't have a great view of the American people because of, you know, they're so drunk on materialism and ease and very selfish, self-centered, um, don't seem to care about public policy in their nation in any true sense. And if this was like a dry run for them to do something more severe in the days ahead, which they seem intent upon doing by their own words, I think they learned a lot of stuff about us that isn't good for us, the people. <laughs> I think they learned what sheep we are, how we easily are compliant to whatever they want to pull off. And we're not resistant to that. We'll gladly take the shekels to get the shackles and the federal government is complicit in all this two to six trillion dollars spent on this whole thing and how brilliant was that of them in order to make sure that the people went along with all the tyranny that's been put in place how smart of that was for them like if you weren't able to work and you didn't get the money from them I bet you would have a little bit different attitude towards the tyranny than when you're getting all this money from the government because you're not able to work. In fact, I know businessmen who can't get their people to come back to work. They have a hard time because they're making more money not working than they were working. That's how tyrants operate. And we should love Christ and we should love our neighbor and we should love liberty so that we don't go along with that, so that we're not bought off so that we understand with the shekels come the shackles. And we should not be bought. We shouldn't be bought by rich men. We shouldn't be bought by the government. Our love for, should be to Christ first and to our family second and to everyone in the community third. And then it's important for us to stand against evil. And I saw very little of it. And it took weeks for anything to muster to stand against it. I think they learned they can starve us out if they want to and make us all come on the government plantation. I think they learned that we will lay down, that they can separate us from one another so that SWAT teams can come in and pick us off one by one if you resist. Because it's much easier to pick off one family or a couple families than it is to, you know, pick off people who have assembled to resist their government. In our state, it says in our state constitution that the right of the people to peaceably assemble shall never be abridged. And I don't know who the founder of, our, founder of our state was, the one that came up with the word never, but that's better than ever, <laughs> you know, or shall not. It's never. <laughs> and we use that and we continue to minister out on the streets for the pre-born and to speak out against the evil of this based on our constitution, regardless of what the governor was saying that we could all be arrested. So it's very important that we exercise the liberties that other men fought, bled, and died to bequeath to us and not glibly hand them over to tyrants like these governors and others involved in, in federal authority. Yeah, I, no, I couldn't say amen enough to, to what you said uh, there. And I'm sure there are people in the audience who will do the same thing. But there's, you know, this is this is part of the, the thing is they politicize us. They balkanize us, if you will. They separate us out mm -hmm. into color, sexual orientation, um, you know, religious creed or all these kinds of things. 
And it is it is really to destroy us. And part of the issue that we have is like what you said, when we don't do anything about it, then it leads to greater tyranny. We embolden the tyrants. You mentioned the four to six point two trillion dollar stimulus package. Yes, it was put together in the House by Democrats. And then it was uh, the accomplices in the Senate, which are led by the Republicans, said yes to that. And then the Republican uh, jersey-wearing president said, I'll sign that. And, yep. and, the, and the American people said, hey, I went to COVID-19 and all I got was this lousy $1,200 check. And But then the banksters got their bailouts. The corporations got their money. Small businesses, who knows, we've lost probably 40% of the small businesses, according to some numbers. Uh, they'll never mm-hmm. reopen again. And all of this, like you said, was built on a lie. Now, why is that? Well, I think a lot of it is, one, the people are ignorant of their founding documents, the Constitution Mm -hmm. and the Declaration of Independence. And then they're also ignorant of even how the human body works. I mean, I've learned things in the past two or three months that I didn't know. I didn't know you didn't pass along viruses, that viruses are actually exosomes that come out of your your cells to clean up toxins in your body, uh, to clean, you know, make sure that, that things are clean in your body. We've had several doctors like Dr. Andrew Kaufman, from M, uh, he graduated from NIT. We've got Dr. Mm-hmm. Bittar from over here in Charlotte saying that. We've got, uh, what's the other guy uh, running for the Senate? Um, Shiva, Shabby. Dr. Shiva. Yeah, that guy. We've got uh, UK nurse uh, Kate Shimarani, who's just being lambasted over there in the UK for for pointing out these truths. Uh, She's our health and wellness expert now on Saturdays. But these people are coming in and explaining what we're getting uh, that information shut down off YouTube. We're getting it shut off on Facebook. It is to make the people stupid. And though Hosea, I know when he speaks of my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, he's speaking about specifically the law of God. But it's, it's about everything. If they can use this to get you to fear, to put on a mask that on the box it says it's not going to stop the thing that you think it's going to stop, and you're yep. going to wear that stupid thing. And then these doctors are saying if you're wearing that all day long, you make yourself acidic, which then leads to you possibly getting cancer. I mean, the joke's on us for not knowing what's doing. And then instead of calling out and uh, defying the tyrants, we go along with them for the sake of whatever political jersey we're on. It's it's an insanity. Oh, I I absolutely agree, and to see the politicization of it all is sad. Um, and and people just go along with it. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> I've watched this whole thing. We've written about it. We've talked about it. People go to our website, defytyrants.com. They can see. Um, things that we have there. Uh, we have a YouTube page with videos that we've done about this whole COVID-19 thing, including the doc, some of the doctors you're talking about, um, you know, it, it uh, is defy tyrants also. And I've preached four sermons on this now during this process of all this going on. And um, if people want to listen to those, Tim, they can go to sermonaudio.com and just put in my name on the speaker, but- speaker button, uh, Matt Chuella. And um, they can listen to those sermons there also. So, yeah, it's sad to watch how the thing has gone on. And like I said, the, the thing that I find encouraging is the fact that the lesser magistrates, though they are far and few between, given how many there are, and most all in lockstep complied with the tyranny, just obeying the person above them unquestioningly, there has been this 
sheriffs, county officials, mayors who've stood um, here in where I live, just 20 minutes away, um, the city of Hartford, Wisconsin, stood in interposition against our governor. Um, our state Supreme Court trounced and uh, repudiated his stay-at-home order after it was in place for nearly two months um, as unconstitutional. Um, but the mayor at Hartford had opposed already and told the businesses, you open, we will protect you. An act of interposition, we went to the businesses that did open, patronized them, spoke with them, taught them that their mayor is following the doctrine of lesser magistrate. This is a goodness. You're blessed to have a magistrate of this sort. Um, and his interposition was solid and sound. Um, and he, he, uh, he's a good man. So we've seen this time and time again in the midst of all this, and hopefully we'll see more of it in the days ahead. I believe the country is breaking apart. I've believed that for over a decade now. The ideological differences are so deep and severe. And, um, but one thing we haven't had is really geographical boundaries in a true sense of the word. And now we're seeing that where you're going to have whole states and of course counties within states where people, you know, decide I want to be in an area where God is honored and where government is limited and proper. And then you have those areas geographically where people are going to gravitate towards. And I believe it's going to be an eight to 10 year process to flesh out and it could get bloody. Time will tell. Um, you'll have those areas where people want to live like a status slave and have a status nightmare um, worse than they even have already um, in order to live in that. And so there'll be a breaking apart of the nation as, as things move forward, I believe. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you look at Deuteronomy 28, probably like I do, Leviticus 26. Uh, we see God's judgment on a disobedient people, and um, they were a covenant people, Israel at the time. And we've seen it all through history. You know, there was a, an, a book that was written by a guy, I think he was up in Canada, he and his brother. And they put out that Puritan hard drive years ago. And he sent me this book on the Solemn League and Covenant, and he was referencing how that was still very much in play as well uh, with Western countries. And, um, and, and I see that even in the United States. We have an issue, and this was something I was going to ask you too. I don't know if this applies here, but under a constitution, unlike other covenant documents, you know, in Christendom where it starts out with God as the one who's the, you know, basically the, the one who sets the covenant— the American Constitution start off with we the people. And mm -hmm. what happens when your lesser magistrate will not follow that? Because my understanding is, is is that the government is of the people, by the people, for the people. That's the old Abraham Lincoln, the tyrant. I don't even like quoting him sometimes, but I think he was right in that. What happens when they won't intervene? We had this uh, recent uh, thing that happened the other day in Minneapolis where this cop, you know, he's on the, the guy's neck. Mm -hmm. um, you you have basically a lesser magistrate in that capacity uh, as a police officer. Then you have another one standing there just ignoring what's going on. You have two guys respond. All four of them are fired now. But if that not had, I mean, in the process of what's going on, do the I mean, do the people not have a duty to go stop those cops from doing what they're doing? Yeah, well, that's um, you know, when you have the magistrates not doing what they're doing, then. Ultimately, it comes down to the people doing it. And that's why it's so important to instruct the magistrates in what their duty is in the sight of Christ regarding their office. And because it's so much better if you have lawful authority intervening and doing their duty 
rather than people having to do what is properly their duty to do, which is properly the magistrate's duty to do. That's when things can begin to break down, you know, and lawless men, um, you know, come to the fore and that type of thing. And that's why I believe it's so important, like what you're doing in educating people um, and like what we're doing at Defy Tyrants. I think it's very important for us to bring Christian thought and Christian thinking to bear on these matters, because most of the pulpits in America are not. They're absolutely silent about these things. And so even the Christians in this country are not getting their understanding of the role, function, and limits of civil government from their pulpits. Um, They're getting it from the world. And that's not good. Because when you follow the history of Western civilization, you see the good that Christianity brought to the West. And it's massively huge. And most people are ignorant of all the goodness it's brought because all you have is professors nowadays who spit on Christianity and call it a great evil. But if you do study of history yourself, you see how ignorant that position is and how easy it is to debunk it, which we go to the universities all the time and talk to university students. And I love doing that because, you know, they never have heard a good defense of Christianity and of the gospel. And, um, So we have to do that as people. We have to get out amongst the people. We have to um, apply God's law, God's thinking in every area of life, in time and space, not just let it be mere theory, as many want to do. So I thank you for what you're doing um, and getting word out to people to think properly regarding these things. And we'll see how far things go, you know, um, as far as people as far as the magistrates not listening. But yeah, ultimately it'll come back to the people. We are the guardians of the constitutions. The founders made that clear. Um, John Knox is a hero in our home um, for numerous reasons. And John Knox, who gave the foremost treatise on the doctrine of lesser magistrate, clearly believed if the magistrates failed in their duty, the people then had the duty to rise up and to create a new form of government and put new people into positions of authority. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The great thunder there of Scotland, and he was well-known, too. I mean, uh, it would cause people to tremble when he prayed. I mean, how many guys do you know? Because <laughs> I'm sure there were lots of imprecatory prayers that came from John Knox's lips. Uh, how, yes. many, how many preachers do you know that cause the magistrates to tremble when they pray or when they preach? That's... Uh, I can't say that I knew a lot. Maybe Dr. D. James Kennedy did a few of them, uh, but uh, but I can't really name a lot of them. I can name some people in history. John Knox, I think Spurgeon had some people that recognized that he was a man of God, uh, and he didn't back off of the things that he preached, which were you know calling the people to repentance, calling the magistrates to repentance, and to honor God as God. And I think that's yeah. really where, where we've lost it. I mean, we keep I, saying we're a Christian nation. You know, Donald Trump had said— we don't worship government, we worship God. Well, what God? Is it the God of money that, you know, in God we trust? Is it that God? Of, is it the God of money? Because that's what it yeah. seems like people are on. We want to fix the quote-unquote economy, which is really a Marxist approach to things. We should be working on law, mercy, justice. That's what Jesus yeah. said. That's the, that's the weightier things of the law. Do that first. The economy follows. Why? Because within the economy, God's already established the things that make uh, or within uh, the law, he's already established the things that make economies work. This isn't hard yes. to figure out, I don't think. 
No, and and that's well said, brother. That that was well said. And you know, I when I look at the ills and evils of our nation, um, Tim, and I work back. So, what is the root of all this? I always come back to the pulpits, and the pulpits are a disaster. The churchmen are a disaster in this country. While they're busy, the overwhelming majority I'm talking about, while they're busy feeling spiritual about their indifference towards civil government matters, they fail to understand their influence, how huge and important it is regarding civil government matters, that Christians have always instructed the magistrates until the last hundred years or so in their duty, in their office. We used to preach election sermons in this country up until the mid to late 1800s where people would gather at the state house and a minister would declare something from the word of God regarding the role, function, or limits of civil government, the duty of the people, and on down the line. All that has been lost. Churchmen don't seem to understand the impact that they can have on their magistrates. Like I meet with them regularly, have for years, and they're astounded. You as a minister are sitting down with me, and the respect, there's still a respect there. Even amongst the Christ haters, there's a trembling, a certain respect towards a churchman who loves Christ and is telling them, this is your duty. This is how you function in your office as a magistrate. And I've seen many of them who are hungry to learn about it. Now, most of them are still filled with cowardice afterwards because they're so inundated by that whole system they're a part of at the state capitals or the national capital. But as you continue with them and as you continue to um, instruct in these things, God's bringing bold men forward. And I can give you so many examples of bold magistrates who are taking their own party to task regarding the GOP, where they're taking the whole system to task for its phoniness. Because you know as well as I do, Tim, the number one thing that makes the capitals operate is money. Yep. It's all about money, money, oh. And money, <laughs> yeah, Matt, not mercy, not justice, like what you were just talking about. Right, it's about money, Matt. We got, we got about twenty seconds here. Tell people where they can find out more about you and, and the things that you do. Yeah, they can go to our website, defytyrants.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Defy Tyrants USA. Another one, the Lesser Magistrate Doctrine, um, and you can go to sermonaudio.com. Put in my name, Matt Chuella, and um, you can see the sermons there. And also, we have a YouTube page called Defy Tyrants there also. All right. That's Matt Trujillo, the author of Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. Matt, I appreciate your time today, and I hope it's been helpful for you guys. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you on Saturday, 8 a.m. See ya.